Welcome to another Collective Conversation. I'm your host, Mike Brewer, and today I have a very special guest, uh, Chris, uh, Ty uh, see, I did it, uh, Tyler Christy Anson. I joked with Tyler that I would mess it up since I asked him how to pronounce his last name. So anyway, we are uh, real and authentic here, so you get to see that blooper right out of the box. Uh, Tyler, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Mike. Yeah, people get my last name wrong a lot, uh, but usually not the first name. You know, Tyler's pretty easy, so that was that was bad, man. That's the first. <laughs> I'll take that in. <laughs> yeah, no, Mike Brewer. That's a pretty easy one. But yeah, Tyler Christiansen, for anybody who's wondering. You, you, you nailed it on the second try. Awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate the grace and all of that. So, <laughs> Hey, Tyler, I want to I wanna start out. Certainly, you're, uh, you're with Funnel. Um, I do want to dig deep into Funnel, but I want to lead. Uh, NAA is coming up, and I heard through the grapevine that we are going to see the Apartment of Terror at, <laughs> at NAA. And to the extent that you can share a little bit about that, I'd like to know what the Apartment of Terror is. Yeah, no, thank you for the little plug and the buzz. Yeah, I'm super excited for NAA. Hope it's more like a NAA of old, uh, not necessarily the NAA of Chicago. We'll see how attendance looks. But um, yeah, so uh, our wonderful marketing team, Funnel has a history. We launched Funnel actually at NAA in Denver in 2019. So we like to go big, uh, like to make sure that people know who we are. Uh, our colors obviously stand out. Uh, but yeah, the idea behind the Apartment of Terror is to uh, do a bit of what you would call the Pepsi challenge, right? Ask multifamily owners and operators to walk through what it's like, the leasing experience today. And so we're going to highlight some of the really scary moments uh, that happen to our prospective renters when they're trying to rent an apartment with us, right? Um, I hear it all the time from operators. We make it so hard for customers to give us their money, right? So we're going to highlight that, but we're going to position that against what we're calling the funnel of love. So a big, beautiful a uh, pink funnel that exits from the apartment of terror so that folks can uh, realize that yes, it's scary for apartment uh, hunters out there today, but there is a better way. There's, there's a better option. And that's obviously what funnel is trying to help facilitate. Uh, I, I actually love that. I, I often think that it would be a great exercise for people like myself or other multifamily executives or, or even team members, frankly, to go through the process of trying to lease an apartment. My wife and I are selling our home right now, and I'm going through the process of trying to find a new rental home that's that we're going to segue to that but i know it's not apartments but it's broken yeah the case and you know what that if i could double click on that a lot of my passion for one of our newest products that we're going to talk about naa is this online leasing product and i similarly i was living in new york city um with uh, with funnel and i was moving to florida and so i had to rent a home sight unseen and the Finding the apartment wasn't wasn't the problem, uh, or the home, the this the single family rental home. Um, that was fairly easy. The listing site, Zillow, was great. It was when I got to the application, uh, and I think that that is where we as an industry, uh, for some reason, have this apathy that we we talk so much about tours and marketing, and then all of a sudden we take for granted our our customers as soon as they want to transact with us. And and to your point, that is absolutely what we're encouraging folks to do is go try leasing one of your own apartments. I guarantee you your IT team has a sandbox environment where you can play with it and not break anything, not take something off the market. But try it because it really, in my experience, it was using one of the existing softwares in the industry. It is not a modern experience. It is cumbersome. It breaks if you put too many letters in one box. Um, and it puts a tremendous burden on our site associates. So they don't like it either. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there is, when you go through that experience yourself, especially when we actually get to the, the bottom of the proverbial funnel where it's time to close the lease, 
um, that great experience that we, de- that we developed by using self-guided tours and AI and chatbots, all of a sudden now they're ready to become a resident with you and we make it just so difficult. So that's, that's really where the apartment of terror and the funnel of love concept was, was born was, Hey, have you tried leasing one of your apartments lately? Because it might not be as easy as you think. So oh, it's, it is dreadful. It's dreadful. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure making both sides of that experience were easy, but I'm sure the terror side of that was super easy based on how pitiful it is today. So. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't even wasn't even involved in. It. I think we had plenty of examples of just how difficult it is, and and I think to your point, where the reason I think we as as technologists and even operators in the industry recognize that it's a bad experience today is because all of our other consumer experiences and day to day life have transformed radically, right? And it's just become so much easier to do just about anything uh, from your phone. But, and that, that's a key component here is, especially if you're, an old, if you're a multifamily operator who still would rather use a desktop, force yourself to do it on the phone because you're, you're, much of your consumers, probably 60% of your applicants in our data, prefer to do an application on their phone. Can't, and what we've found is that most legacy providers of application software, while they say they're mobile responsive, they're really not. It is not designed the way an Uber or a DoorDash, uh, a Carvana, a Rocket Mortgage, all these modern e-commerce solutions, they were built to be mobile first. Uh, and that's really how we've rethought this process is making it friendly for the consumer. As soon as they walk out from that tour, the renter pull out their phone and they should be able to lease, you know, get approved. Uh, we got a story yesterday, uh, property went live that same day. First applicant went from uh, start of their application to application approved in nine minutes, which that nine is, minutes. that is the dream scenario for us. That's Sign me up. That's yeah, right. <laughs> that is incredible. That is incredible. Yeah. Well, I pre- and, th- and the interesting thing is to that point, what we found is there's not a lot of data today. You know, we ask our partners, hey, how, what percentage of your applicants today are coming in uh, mobile versus desktop? And to date, nobody knows, which I was like, can you imagine Uber not knowing what percentage of their rides are mobile versus desktop, which, you know, spoiler alert, it's 95%. <laughs> um, it, you know, it's based on you have to do it from a mobile device. But same thing with applications. We are seeing with our partners for online leasing that the majority of applicants prefer to do it on their phone. And we've also found this interesting, Mike, is that when they do it on their phone, they go faster. They're more likely to use the automated components such as automated income verification. They're less likely to get bogged down and want help if it's easy, it's intuitive, my questions are answered. Um, so yeah, again, we, we really try to build it thinking about modern e-commerce solutions, um, but a lot of, lot of room for opportunity as an industry to improve in that area. You know, it's a, you, you bring up a lot of great names um, as it relates to technology and, and certainly application of technology. And I, I, I'm very grateful for companies like Uber and Amazon. You, you know, Amazon comes to mind as you're speaking through that. And I, I do a lot of commerce, obviously, our exchanges on Amazon. And, and I like the mobile experience because I get that swipe by now instead of like going through to the shopping cart and doing the book. You know, it's just much faster and slicker on, on the mobile application. I, I want to back up for one second. <laughs> Because I have to, I have to squeeze this in, and there's no like probably right segue for this. But the color pink, Lisa Trozine asked me for asked me to ask you to tell the story about the pink. Where does the pink yeah. come from? And then we can get right back to the. That's the a great color. question. Thank you, Mike. Um, yeah, and I'm obviously I'm representing. I didn't even plan this. I just my whole wardrobe is pink now, um, which I have four daughters and they love it. 
Um, but so I, I was fortunate. I've been in multifamily my whole career. I started on the operator side. My dad was with a company called Wasatch Property Management. Um, I then switched to the dark side or fun side, which was uh, the software side. Uh, and I worked for Property Solutions starting in 2012, uh, did a brief stint at LRO, Rainmaker, um, and then went back and ultimately ran Entrada's national sales organization uh, prior to joining what was Nestio in 2018. So Nestio, for those who don't know, Funnel used to be called Nestio. Uh, and Nestio was a, you'll, you'll get this, Mike, old timers like you and I, vaultware syndication tool. Nestio was vaultware for New York City, right? Taking inventory, pushing it to the ILSs. That's now just bundled into you know all the other software providers. Um, but so Nestio was a really, really great technology. My first day on the job as, as the chief revenue officer with Nestio was Optech 2018, first day. And what I found was we had really cool technology. We're building really great things, brilliant people on our team. Nobody, even my friends who came to see me, you know, hey, you used to be at Entrada, you're now at Nestio. Nobody could remember who we were, what we did. And, and it really was obvious that um, after Optech, I, I met with at the time our wonderful CEO, Karen Mayo, and I, I made this heat map. I had a map of Optech and I showed her every single booth, the color of that company, the logo of that company, the name of that company. And I said, if we're going to break out of New York City and become a brand that people know and, and really seek to find for solutions, we have to stand out. Uh, and I learned a lot of this from my days at Entrada. Entrada did a very good job in the early days of standing out, the red, the red shoes, right? Uh, yeah. A gentleman named Ben Zimmer was kind of the, the mastermind of marketing at Entrada. Uh, and so we we went through and there was there were some colors that nobody was using in 2018. That was purple, uh, pink, brown, uh, and a little bit of yellow, though some folks use yellow. And I said, you know, brown and yellow, let's take those off. We're not going to use those. Purple is great, um, but really we wanted to have something that stood out and, and and be true to who the business was at the time, which was a very Brooklyn, New York type business. And so really our core color, Mike, is black. Uh, but the pink stands out more, right? So you you should always see the funnel logo, the black background, pink pops off the chart. And Lisa's, Lisa's brilliant, actually, at really thinking about the power of color, the power of brand. Um, and it would probably surprise you, but funnel only has two salespeople. That surprises people about us. Um, we have 60 product and engineering folks. But the reason so many people know about funnel is we got a great product. We have great customers. And we're very, um, I was once told by a competitor, we're very noisy. <laughs> Intentionally so. Well, the pink helps that for certain. <laughs> it does. And then last thing I want to mention on pink, it ended up becoming more than just obviously a color, part of our brand. It is a part of our ethos now. Um, we actually organically built the uh, P-I-N-K, the letters into our core values. Uh, so if you visit funnelleasing.com, uh, our core values are pro-social, means we you know believe in doing good for the world, integrity, novel and kick-ass. Uh, so pink is not only the color we wear, it describes who we are. We are a, a pink people, pink culture. Uh, so, okay. So that, that caused me to think about, I watched a video of you recently when you, you raised some money um, and you were talking about your opportunity now to uh, pour into, I think it was home or heart is your home. charity work. Home is your yes. charity organization. So pro-social, I have to believe that value sort of ladders up into that or vice versa? You want to talk 100%, about that? 100%. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing this up. This is the core of everything we do at Funnel. So uh, for those who are unfamiliar, home is our charity. Uh, it's not an initiative. It's not a drive. It is an actual charitable organization that we stood up inside of Funnel. It has its own board, its own legal entity. Um, and 
it stands for housing opportunities made equal. Um, and the genesis of home was, um, I became CEO, took over for the wonderful Karen Mayo, my predecessor, uh, who's gone on now is still in the industry. Um, and when I became CEO, you know, it was summer of 2020. Uh, I had just had my fifth child <laughs> and was very introspective about the moment. Uh, and the world was in a, a very reflective place of, uh, especially grappling with racial inequalities. And what was becoming very clear to Funnel at the time was thanks to wonderful partners like Camden and uh, Essex and um, Cortland, Funnel was going to make it. <laughs> we were going to grow. We were going to be a successful company. But I, I was just thinking, you know, so what? <laughs> who cares? Um, you know, who cares if someday I can return, you know, all of our money back to our investors? That's great. But if we can make a difference in this world and and do it in a meaningful way, that'll be that'll be what matters. Uh, and so we made a commitment in the summer of 2020, um, and we crowdsourced the name from our own company. Leanna O'Brien, one of our um, product managers, came up with the name Home. And the idea is we had decided then, the, the product you and I just talked about is what we call online leasing. We decided we were going to build that. And for those who know this, you know, inside baseball here, Mike, you know, most online leasing tools in the industry were built in 2012 uh, or, or earlier. They haven't been built since then. But the way that you monetize those often is you actually take a portion of the application fee. That's how a lot of the, the software providers make their money. Um, and what we made a commitment to is before we had any money from that product, that every time somebody signed their lease in Funnel, every time somebody found their home through Funnel, that we would set aside one of those dollars that historically was our money, and we were going to make it the renter's money. And so what home is, is similar, think of the Tom shoes model, you know, one pair of shoes, one donation. So every new person who finds a home helps fund with their application fee that typically we would take, you know, our competitors take 100% of that. We're, we're setting aside $1 and we will be donating that to disadvantaged renters, uh, particularly trying to fight housing discrimination uh, in this economy, Mike, really trying to help people stay in their apartments, right? That's the main struggle. Um, but for those like you and I have been in this industry for a time, it sounds like a small donation until you look at, you know, the number of units the funnel has now on the platform. This product just went live earlier this year. We already have hundreds of thousands of units signed up for it. And on average is 1.1 application per unit per year. So our goal at funnel is through home that in a very short period of time, we will be the most philanthropic organization in prop tech. And, and that is with an ambition, we know, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars we donate will make a big, big impact in individual lives. But our real goal with home is to make it so that every prop tech company has a charity, has a purpose, has a mission. Um, because you look at, I mean, last year, three companies went public in our space. RealPage sold for $10 billion. There's plenty of money in prop tech, but we're not giving back enough. And this is a way that is not us standing on a stage giving a check. It's not us doing a fundraiser for money. This is our success is the renter success. So uh, I obviously get excited about that. I appreciate you asking. It's, it's a big part of who we are. I know. I, I, I absolutely love that. I, I think that you know there, there should be more of that in the world. And to your point about the money that has flooded into PropTech over the last, I mean, even, even if you take WeWork, out of the equation that raised just a boatload of money, there still is a tremendous amount of money that has been poured into the space. And to, to think that you're going to take a small percentage of that and give that back in such a meaningful way is just, uh, I applaud you. I applaud Thank you. you. Yeah. You yeah, no, 
Thank you very much. Yeah. And it, and I think what's really cool about funnel is it is all of our mission. I, I meet with every single new employee and I make sure they know about home because every single one of our employees, it, it is part of our core. You know, it's why, like you said, pro social, the P in pink, the way we do that is we're building a product that makes a better renter experience and simultaneously gives back. So, you know, I met with a new product manager yesterday and I was saying, Hey, you are helping to drive this, right? Like if someday we're donating millions of dollars, it's going to be because you help bring that product to market. And I know for our team, it just, it makes it so cool, right? It's not, hey, someday our executive team's going to make a ton of money and we're all going to donate back. Sure, that's great. That'd be a great outcome. But more importantly, along the way, we want to build this model. And, and, and I, we're already seeing, you know, there's a lot of other companies that are starting initiatives. I want to see them take it a step further and start their own charities. Uh, and I think that with today's modern consumer, today's modern employee, it's going to be a requirement. Like right. th this is a novel idea today. It will not be in five years. And, and when that happens, we'll know, you know, when those billion dollar companies are donating hundreds of millions of dollars, it will make a real impact on addressing housing affordability and other causes that are near and dear to our industry's heart. That's right. That's right. It's It's been a, a long time coming and to be a, a trailblazer is just, uh, again, kudos to you and your team. That that It's just tremendous. Thank you, Mike. I, I So that, that sort of segues me into um, a conversation or hopefully a conversation about culture. I know... I think again from reading or watching one of your videos or somewhere I, I learned this, but um, I think you're modeling a little bit after Netflix, uh, particularly in the area of PTO, uh, which I think is interesting. But in the broader scheme of things and culture, kind of talk to us about how you've envisioned the culture and beyond home. I imagine there are other pieces and components of your culture, and I'd like to I'd like to hear a little bit about that. You yeah. No, thank you so much. Great question. Um, yeah. To, to your point about Netflix, great book for anybody who is thinking about business culture and what kind of environment they want to work in. Uh, the CEO of Netflix, Reed Hastings, um, wrote a book called No Rules Rules. Um, fabulous book about what, what is remarkable about Netflix that I really want to emulate at Funnel. There's a lot of cool companies that are cool once, <laughs> flash in the pan, and they don't continue to iterate on their culture and on their value. Um, what I love about Netflix was it was, you know, the, the, those who may not know, start off by shipping DVDs, right? That was their first business model. And then they became a streaming company. And for those who think they're a streaming company today, they're not. They're an entertainment production company, right? Because they saw the writing on the wall. Disney, everybody else was going to pull their content. They had to create their own content. I'm a big Stranger Things fan, right? So the way that Netflix was able to maintain that innovative culture all along the way uh, was by having a culture, culture that they call a culture of freedom and accountability. Uh, and those two things are really, we believe in those. Uh, wherever possible, we strive to not have rules. So you mentioned one of those, unlimited PTO, um, right? And I, I shared that on LinkedIn in the past. We've been doing unlimited PTO for a very long time now. Um, and it's been, it's been remarkable for us, um, the ability for employees to feel trusted. And I think, you know, it might be better stated as unmanaged PTO. Obviously, we need people to come to work. <laughs> we got we got a lot of work to do around here. Um, but when we hire the right type of people and you empower them with a mission and with purpose, they want to work. If you have the right people, they, there's you have no problem. The bigger problem is actually getting them to take PTO. And so, what unlimited PTO creates is there's no quota. It's not you know 15 days or 16 days if you have tenure. Use what you need to use. And then what people have found with unlimited PTO is that. What's critical is, is the emotion, the intellectual safety to know I can take it and not that, you know, 
because sometimes people have unlimited PTO and they're like, well, I always see my boss. He never takes time off. So am I going to get in trouble? And so what we do at Funnel is we have in our, our all hands meetings, a PTO spotlight where we show leaders going on vacation, taking a week off, stepping away and really highlighting and celebrating, you know, I, uh, Mike, this is one of my last calls tomorrow. I'm taking off for London for a week. Um, I'm going to take my daughter, my wife, we're going to go over there get some, get a breather before NAA. Um, you know, and my team knows I'm really taking it. If they want to get a hold of me, they can, but I'm not doing any scheduled calls and we're running a very big, fast growing company. So yeah, unlimited PTO is an example of a culture of freedom and accountability, uh, that's been really beneficial to us, uh, and allowed us to continue to reinvent ourselves because, uh, you know, when you're through changing, you're through as they say. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. I, I have to believe in my heart of hearts, just based on what you just said, another piece of that book, by the way, this is the book. If anybody's. Hey, nice grab. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I, I knew we were talking about this, but so. In the, in the book, they talked about, um, well, talent density is certainly one of the building blocks, but then on the heels of that, there's candor or candor. Um, and then, so based on those sort of two components, you have these, this high level of talent, you have complete candor in the organization, then you have this ability to, to sort of put trust first. And I'm interested to, to know the interworkings if you're, if you're free to share, uh, at Funnel, the, the candor. So you've built enough trust within the organization is there complete candor? Do you still, do you think that there are people that sort of hold back in, in uh, certain environments? I'm, I'm just curious about that. Uh, I will, you know, it's great. You keyed in on a really interesting topic because you mentioned obviously step one in the book is talent density, like you said, yeah. right? And yeah. talent density, you have to be in the Netflix's case, and this is where technology companies have been fortunate. You have to pay what they call top of personal market. And so the whole thesis is, is you have to be willing to embrace a culture where you have, if you want A players, A players want to be around other A players. And therefore what happens to a lot of companies is as they grow and scale, and this is obviously, you know, Funnel was 30 employees when I became CEO, we're 120 now. We've, you know, that's small to some people, it feels really big to us. And usually what happens as you scale is that level of talent density for a lot of companies starts to dilute and you start to have B players, C players, D players, you let things slip. And eventually you have a lot of mistakes happening in the business, people making dumb decisions. And the natural inclination to the dumb decision is let's make a rule, right? So here's this new rule. You, you can't do this when you're on you know, company dime, don't buy wine that's this much money. And you create all of these rules and bureaucracy. And then the end result of that is you now live, and I think a lot of my listeners, you know, our, your listeners can appreciate this. You get into a company where bureaucracy rules the company and to get anything done requires three approvals. And when you're in that environment, you top performers, A players don't want to stick around. They want to be in a place where they can run hard and free and fast. And I've, I've experienced in that in my career. I've been very unhappy before, even though I was crushing my goals when I felt like I was being held back. Um, and so we want to avoid that. Now, to your point about candor, you can only have a culture of A players if you're willing to have hard conversations. Uh, because Netflix's policy is, you know, top performers get pay raises and they get promotions. Mediocre performance gets a generous severance package. Um, and, and candidly, you know, I think it's something we're still struggling with and growing with, Mike. I've, I've told my leaders, you know, I, we probably need to sacrifice some glass door points as a business in order to really have the hard conversations we need to have to make sure we're meeting our opportunity. And, and that's not to say we, we're doing great stuff at Funnel. We're growing 100% year over year. We're very happy. But I think if you have that growth mentality, that growth mindset, you always see there's more to be done. Uh, and so, you know, I think that we, like a lot of businesses that are, that are growing quickly are learning how important it is to have that. And last thing I'll say about candor 
is obviously it starts with the executive leadership team. People need to know they can critique you, right? That they can come and tell you, hey, you're doing stuff wrong. And so uh, in addition to telling every new team member at Funnel about uh, home, I also tell them you need to give me and us feedback. And when we have team members that do that, I really try and make sure people see it. I have I have a, a trusted group of employees that have no problem telling me when I mess up. And I make sure to amplify their voices because when people see, hey, it's okay to criticize Tyler, it's okay to criticize our chief product officer, then in a, in a constructive way, then they know, okay, if I get criticized, it's because the team wants me to succeed and I should be able to have those hard conversations as well in a way that, and, and Netflix talks about this, you genuinely want what's best. So we're not perfect at it. We're learning, we're growing. I think we probably err a little too much on being nice right now. Uh, and we're, we're learning a little bit because your customers will tell you the hard stuff, right? And you need to tell yourself before the customer tells you that you're failing. That, that, that's right. I, I, I appreciate you being open about that. And I'm, the reason I asked that question, just the why behind the what, is that we, we at Rackham Residential are trying to grow again. We, we had 83 properties at peak and we sold all but five. And that was like drinking from a fire hose. But now we're rebuilding, right? We have an infrastructure in place, but we're rebuilding. And, and in my head, we, we read that book as a, as a team. And, um, and in my mind, the only way you get to no one ever reaches perfection, but you're certainly striving for excellence. Or if you're striving for perfection, you're going to land somewhere with excellence, but it has to be through candor and, and candor breeds trust and it breeds all those other things. So um, sh shifting gears a little bit, I, I uh, do you know who Christopher Lockhead is? He's uh, kind of the godfather of category. No, no, this is interesting though. I, I, I like where you're taking this, but I need to, I'm going to look him up immediately following this podcast. Yeah. So he is the godfather of category. Um, he likes to talk about category killers. He, he likes to talk about, speaking of Netflix, kind of killing Blockbuster. But he also talks about you know, businesses and organizations that create category. And it is my understanding that you're creating a category and, and maybe you can unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm very excited to look into this, uh, this author and, and thought leader, but, um, you know, certainly, um, saying you're a category creator is a bit like giving yourself a new nickname, right? And so I want to be humble to recognize we will not decide if we make a category multifamily will. Um, but I'll tell you what we think what we can create. Um, and so again, my, my history in multifamily starting the operator side went to, uh, property solutions, then LRO and then Entrada. And in that journey, I saw that multifamily by and large can be categorized prop tech vendors into two buckets. There's the single stack solutions, uh, and then there's the uh, point solutions providers um, and all varying degrees between there. But um, our industry historically has been viewed as the property management software industry um, from, a, from a technology perspective. And we have great partners that have really helped us think about is that even the right terminology, right? And I've spoken about this on LinkedIn, is, is property management even the right name for our industry? And again, my dad's an asset manager, so I appreciate that this is an asset class and people are investing their money and they deserve to make money on that. And you got to manage the property and there's maintenance and there's a lot of things that are not leasing. But I believe our industry will be better served as we embrace the concept of renter management, our, our, our customer. And when we think about the technology and the category we're trying to create, it's not surprising that, you know, really great property management software companies were born to manage properties. Uh, our, our industry was born as, a, as an asset class, an institutional asset class where you could deploy capital, get safe returns. And through the two recessions I've lived through, it's proven to be a great investment. Um, what has shifted is the power to the consumer has shifted in a way that um, mobility is key, choice is key, brand is key. Um, and 
managing a renter with fundamentally a, a property management software leads to the outcomes that we see in the industry today. Uh, and so when we say renter management, it has to do first with what you see on my sign back here, Mike, which is our core belief of renter centricity, right? Which is that if you put the renter at the source of everything you do, your business will run better, both from a software perspective and just operations. Um, so it starts there, but then it goes very specifically to what we won't do. Uh, and so again, I, as part of Entrada, uh, I saw that company, which again, I think it's the best, you know, this is an advertisement. I think they're the best single stack software in the space. I, I, I sold a lot of people on that, so I better believe it. Um, <laughs> But what they and others are is their property management software that can do leasing and can do resident management. Funnel is trying to create a category. And, we, and by creating a category, we're inviting others to come into it. We hope others join us in, in competing in this space to push us, um, just like Hulu pushes Netflix, um, which is to build tools around the renter and not be an asset management tool, not be a, le a financial ledger, uh, and really draw lines in the sand. Because it's very hard to innovate on consumer experience when you're building international commercial accounting software right? You just become a mile wide. And so um, we believe that the opportunity for Funnel to be the platform for all things renter communication, leasing, any tr interaction with that renter themselves is what we have built um, and what we we're building for. Uh, and then leveraging the fact that now there are wonderful APIs, there's wonderful tools in the industry where we can API out, we can outsource the facilities management, the account, the accounting uh, and we believe that's the future. And frankly, even the, the property management software companies are moving in that direction. Uh, so renter management is a category that we hope to uh, to bring to the space. So, so I have to ask this question. So I, I, I'm a big believer in the power of constraints. And uh, it is my understanding that, that uh, Funnel is obviously born in New York. Um, and, and in my head, that is sort of a constraint. I think about constraints when Mick, Mick Jagger was building his big rock band, he, he talks in the early innings, he, uh, he would go to all these dive bars and, and that sort of thing that you see, or is it Steven Tyler? It's the guy who does this all the time. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, the stages were so small and he wanted to be memorable and remarkable. So this is where that thing is born from, right? The, the whole thing. Anyway, that, that was a constraint of the stage size, but born in New York funnel constraint to that market, you, you, it was built with a different sort of starting point in mind and that, that resident is the starting, starting point, right? The s single source or the source. Can you, you kind of it. that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think that a lot of people, when they hear us talk about renter centricity, they think it's just marketing speak. <laughs> like, oh, sure, that sounds nice. Um, and it, it is good marketing. It's a good tagline. But um, much more than that, to your point, it was, it's a, uh, intentional element of the architecture of our software. Uh, and as you said, uh, Nestia was originally built to be a consumer product. And the way we describe it to folks is it was really built to be like a Pinterest for apartment hunting. Um, and as such, building a B2C product, of course, the source of truth would be the renter, not the asset. The business model transitioned to being B2B, where again, they were distributing inventory uh, systems again, vaultware uh, for New York City, but the architecture, the underlying tables remain the same. And folks that are engineers will get that. Folks like me who are not, you know, a, a software uh, architecture is like an Excel spreadsheet, right? And there are parent tables and there are child tables. And what we're talking about is that in funnel, the parent table, the, the most important source of truth is the renter themselves. And then everything else is tagged to that renter. And that, that's why we have a renter-centric CRM, which if I inquire at three communities with Cortland, one of our partners, 
I can tag three communities, but the renter has worked as one person. Obviously, you know, the idea of centralization and renter centricity is catching on. And we love it when things we talk about, we hear others emulate. It's good for the industry, including especially charity. I want everyone to have a charity. But what is unfortunate for them is what was probably just a, a small decision at the beginning for Funnel. And for the record, I thought when I joined from Entrada that our architecture was going to be a liability for us because I thought, oh, a fee manager will never go for lead sharing. That was my first thought, which is still a little bit true. We're still busting through that with fee managers. But that architectural advantage is a giant competitive moat for us in our competition, where if you're using any other kind of legacy CRM, PM software, the table, the parent uh, the parent chart table is the property. And therefore, when I inquire at multiple communities, if I'm using one of these accounting softwares as my CRM, they have to create multiple guest cards, right? And so that's that's the difference is that Funnel does not create multiple guest cards for one renter. Uh, today, what that means is that our partners can run much more efficiently because they can have one person working multiple communities. Uh, if you read the earnings calls of Camden's or Essex, our customers, they run much smaller staffs than their competition. Um, in the future, what that means is if I have one record of my renter, I can build lifetime customer value. So Mike, you, you know, you mentioned, and I have the same story. I moved eight times in eight years. Uh, half the times I was renting, half the time I was buying. Um, I wish that somebody had a record of me and they'd say, Hey Tyler, you're, you're moving to, you know, you're going to park city for the summer. You know, we have a short-term rental available for you and you'll get a discount because you, you have a relationship with us or Tyler, your daughter's going off to college in a few years, have her stay with us in our student housing community. Cause we know who you are. So That's today, great. what it means is cross-selling or disinterestedity in the future. It's the foundation for loyalty. Uh, which is a, a whole nother topic, but yes, it is our architecture to be renter centric. I, I, I love that. I I've long thought that at some point somebody's going to figure out an alumni program to, to speak to your point, right? That, that even if somebody ended up leaving your ecosystem, you're, you know, they're, they're going to go through different life stages that necessitate them to live in, you know, an apartment at some point and a, a house at some point. But if you can, can sort of own that consumer's housing interests from, I guess cradle to grave. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> it, it, you nailed it. It is going to happen uh, at annual this NMHC annual this year. There was a, a statistic they put on screen that uh, half of renters are open to the idea of a membership program. Right. That's right. Uh, I bet I would love to see that survey done of asset managers. <laughs> it would probably be zero. We love our we love our twelve month leases in this industry. Um, it's, but as long as their lease expiration is managed, um, but the the concept of subscription membership is happening in everywhere in the world. There are, there are, to your point, there are great companies innovating in this space. Uh, built, uh, landing, um, stake is a, is a small new one, really smart guys. There's a lot of cool tools that are starting to play with that idea. Um, we're a few steps away, but to your point, we as an industry need to think about it or else it's going to happen to us. <laughs> and I'm, and that, that funnels role in that is we don't think that we're going to be the brand by any means, but we think that we are as a renter centric CRM, a platform that if one of our partners, if Essex wants to have a relationship with the consumer when they're moving from Orange County to San Diego, it doesn't have to end with the lease. You can renew them into a different community. And in fact, some of our partners are already doing that. They're doing inter-portfolio inter renewals. Hey, you don't want to stay in Dallas, you're moving to Houston, we have availability in Houston, right? So, but none of that is possible without a renter-centric architecture because otherwise, if my record again is tied to this community, I've got to create a new record, I lose all that information, there's no visibility. So yeah, that, that's what we believe in is renter-centricity. You know, I, you know it's, it's uh, 
I hear this. I've not experienced this myself because it's been many, many years since I've worked on site, but, uh, you know, leasing team members who uh, create a guest card to your point, create a guest card at one community, that same renter goes over to another Radco community. <laughs> we create another guest card and then you've had all, it's just. In it's your, fun. in your neck of the woods there in Atlanta, we had a customer go live, um, with funnel. And one of the funnest things for us is when they go live, they have no idea how often that's happening. Right. Uh, we, we were very, uh, not surprised ourselves, but still always uh, rewarding to hear one in four renters, uh, for this, this property management company were inquiring at other communities within the portfolio and they had no idea beforehand. Right. So to your point, think how we would market differently. If we know that, think about how you would do tour conversion differently. And yeah, it's a really fun time in our space to start thinking about all this stuff. And we believe our role again is to provide that data, provide the platform that changes the dynamic. And Mike, at the end of the day, it's really about the relationship. If you are, whether you're Graystar or you're Radco, do yeah. you have a relationship with your renter or does your property, right? And if you're if you're right. using a, a CRM that is a property-centric CRM, the property does because you can't maintain that relationship when they move from one community to the other. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it, it's just changing that dynamic of there should be a one-to-one relationship between your your business, your brand. And that, that renter, that consumer, especially like the business you're in, which is growing your portfolio, you know, there's returns on that. You get economies of scale as you grow your portfolio size. Yeah, I, I believe that to be true. And, and maybe to highlight the relationship part of that, I, I think for many, many, many years, our, our relationship with a renter has been sort of transaction oriented, right? And both on the renewal side, on the new lease side, it's transaction oriented, um, but if you remove a lot of what is transaction oriented from that equation, right. And you give time back or you give at least presence back to the team member who's actually interacting with that consumer where you can really create relationship because relationship is a big word. Right. And, and I think operators like, like Radco, like others, we've put so much on our onsite team members in the way of let's call it busy work for, for lack of a better way to describe it right now. But, but if we can, put tools in place, if we can arm them with tools that take a lot of that, do some of that DIY, do some of that through, uh, you know, a, a, a transaction, but most of it through relationship and building trust. I, th- I think that's just a different world for multifamily. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that there is a, a mindset change that is happening there. And, you know, we call it role specialization. Um, we think that there's great, one of the reasons I think our industry struggles with retention is we, we have, if I was, I, I consider myself a salesperson in my heart. And if I was working in an apartment community, I think I would get really bogged down by all the administrative work. Um, with role specialization, with centralization, you open up for your leasing folks more leasing opportunity because I, I don't just have my two vacant apartments in my community, but I could lease anything within a portfolio that you tell me. Additionally, a lot of the other administrative work that could be moved off site. Uh, or it could be automated. Of course, the goal is to automate everything between AI and uh, art, you know, robotic processes. But the the other solution is if you, there's a lot of admin work that we require of the communities today that has nothing to do with the property, right? And so when you have a renter-centric architecture like Funnel, the number one initiative that our customers are doing is they're revisiting roles. And they're saying, hey, we now have a system that allows us to move activity from the site to a centralized location or what most of them call shared services. And the end result for that is that the side associates are far happier because their role is better defined, success is broader. Um, so I think it's a really fun opportunity in our industry right now. I can't tell you how often we get the call and say, hey, we're rethinking our business. We're rethinking our business. And 
you know, what we found is there's a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be done at the property. And so that's always where we, we get a big smile and we say, great, let's talk. And like, that's why I have a two person sales team. There's a lot of those. Uh, but you know, we're very focused on those type of customers that are coming to us and saying, Hey, this is happening. We, we need to get up with the times. Uh, and, and you know, what we, the word we hear often is future proof, future proofing your business for, for what's coming. Yeah. I, I think I, I, uh, recently came up with an acronym, uh, ACEO, which is automate, centralize, eliminate, or outsource. And I, I think those four words are really key in redesigning the businesses of the future, right? It's, and it's really not the business of the future. It's the businesses of right now. And I, I think it's really incumbent upon us as operators, as vendor partners, um, business partners to really educate team members. Um, you know, it's, it's incumbent upon us to reskill or upskill our team members because this new way of working is is just going to blow some people away. I believe it will blow some people away. And if they're not ready for it, they'll sort of get cooked in the squat. I know that's a very old saying, <laughs> a baking term, but uh, but I think it's it's uh, it's important because it is here, it is now, and it's happening. Yeah, and I think you can see, you know, we we. Camden, one of our partners, has spoken very openly. Uh, we did an article with Globe Street recently uh, where their head of uh, professional development spoke about that. They, they called it Camden Reimagined, right? And going in and helping their team members recognize there's a lot of career growth opportunity, but it does look different, right? It looks very different. In the case of them, um, it was less assistant property management admin, more shared services, more leasing pods. Right. So really cool things. And I'm, all these things are, you know, on their earnings calls and you can hear about it, all the wonderful things they've done. Um, but yeah, it does. It's reimagining what, a, what it's like to work in multifamily. And it's a, it's a very bright future for the industry. I, I, I would love for my children to get into the multifamily industry. I think you learn so many skills uh, still on site. You know, there's, there's a lot of wonderful jobs to be had, but it is, there's an upskilling. And, and to your point about upskilling, what I see I love that you lead it, You led with um, A, automate. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first step, right? Wherever possible, centralization is really only a fallback for what we can't automate at the end of the day. And so there's a lot of communication that can be automated. And so what we've seen with our partners is, hey, turn on a, a virtual leasing agent, turn on a bot, see what it can handle, right? Make sure it works with your existing team. And that's the upskilling that you referenced is, you know, my job as a sales associate is not to be responding monotonously to every single inquiry. That's not valuable, right? That can be automated. But my job is to pick up the phone and say, hey, I just saw you scheduled a tour. You have a two bedroom you're looking for. Did you know we also have one across the street? right? That's valuable. And that's where A, my earning potential is going to go up. The consumer experience is going to be better. And it's the upskilling that you reference. It's working alongside technology and not viewing it somehow as a replacement to your value. No, I, I 100% agree with that. I, I think that's the that's the conversation that we have to to manage well as we move forward as an industry is, hey, look, this is going to be a job killer. It's it's not really a job killer. It's, it is reimagining the way work is done and it's how do you fit in that new world of work and, and we need to define that for people and then and then support them right in transitioning into that that way of, of viewing the world well you, you speak about the future um to sort of bring to an end here our, our conversation which i is hard to do because i could probably talk to you all day about t- technology i love it uh what what do you see around the corner uh as it relates to multifamily whether it be your business or something about the multifamily space um that that seems interesting over the next three to five years uh, plus or minus. 
Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we touched on a few of them. I, I really, truly believe that relationship dynamic is going to change our industry pretty dramatically. Um, one thing, I, I, one stat I didn't mention that I like to speak on is, you know, uh, Airbnb, over a quarter of their stays these days are over a month in length. Um, and, you know, we, we know that Airbnb disrupted hospitality. It's disrupting living as well, right? Uh, at Funnel, we have a lot of what we call digital nomads, folks that if we want to send them swag, you know, we, we just made these really cool pins for launching one of our products. It's hard to find them because they're moving. They're in Argentina and Japan and, you know, uh, Italy. Uh, and the new world is is very mobile, right? And so I think the relationship to your apartment, as we mentioned, is, is going to change dramatically. And like you and I discussed, there's, there's going to be innovation around that. Um, one area I'm really interested in seeing that is not something that Funnel has any involvement uh, with in a macro is... I think IoT. Um, I know that's that's kind of obvious, but I, I kind of feel like we're we're back in the trough of despair. Where, and I we love our friends at Latch and Smart Rent and wonderful IoT companies, um, but what we have seen is that it's really hard at the end of the day to implement hardware. And so you know, there's these public companies that sell smart locks, uh, and again, we partner uh, with them, and, and particularly in Smart Rent, we have a great integration, really great innovative company. But it's really hard connecting the physical world to the digital world. Uh, and I think that as we get more uh, proliferation of those IoT solutions, it does begin to open a lot of doors to further technology enhancements, right? So we talked a lot about how rent-centricity opens doors to new relationships, customer loyalty, lifetime value. I think likewise, apartments becoming more and more connected obviously opens up lots of different innovations, right? Where, you know, can I begin to... Uh, have an e-commerce relationship with my renter because you know yeah. they the whole apartment is connected and so they want to buy an additional service from me now that they didn't have before and upgrading that. What does that open up? So there's there's a new world for multifamily to have a different type of relationship with the consumer and IoT changes that relationship where now they're connected to us in ways that they don't have to. You know, I, I rented apartments many times in my life. Walk down to the leasing desk. I lived in Utah. You had to put on a coat, put on your slippers to go get something. If I could just, you know, with the click of a button, change the way my apartment feels, uh, you know, it's a very different world. Yeah, I I can agree with you more. I I I think it's all crystal ball thinking, but I I think the next three to five, maybe seven years of our of our time in the multifamily space is just going to be really hyper interesting, uh, just because there are a lot of incredibly smart people working on some incredibly smart technology that I, I think will open a lot of those doors. It's, it's going to yeah. be fun. I agree. La last thing I'll say on that one of the I think big changes has happened to our industry. I mentioned earlier the the availability of APIs. You know, when I was at Property Solutions early days, and even in Entrada, there was a lot, as you may be aware, of lawsuits and litigation and fighting about APIs. They're much better now. They're much more available now. They're viewed as a product by by all the vendors. So I think that's helped us. The other thing you just mentioned is there's much more capital in our space, which is great, right? That competition is going to, you and I, Cristobal, we don't know exactly what the future looks like, but with so many different companies innovating and trying new technology, I am very optimistic for our space that you know what it means to rent an apartment to be a renter will be significantly better uh, five years on than it is today. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And I, I, it just brought to mind just last minute that it, to the extent that, you know, gentlemen like yourself and others who are sort of, I, I'm going to call it open kimono in, in sort of 
how the industry should evolve in in being in rooms with one another, talking about that, not from a competitive, I'm going to crush you perspective, but competitive in the sense that I want to grow the pie bigger, right? We need to come together. And I think I think we're starting to set the stage for that and it's starting to happen and I think it'll continue to happen. And I think that's where the real change will take place is when we all come together and just grow the pie. <laughs> Love that. I, I To that point, I think as multifamily operators start to view each other more as partners, the way that hospitality does, you know, hospitality, they share leads. They, they, there's a lot of, they share data. Um, and then I think likewise, you know, I've become very good friends with Mike Mueller and Todd Catler and, you know, folks that otherwise would be my competitors. And when we put our heads together and we see the same challenges, it it's better for everybody, right? Uh, I, I love my multifamily vendor partners, especially the ones I compete with because they make us better. So I, I agree. This is not a zero sum game. There's a lot of renters, a lot of management companies. Uh, and so that pie is, is plenty big, but collectively, I think we can all make it bigger. And, and again, most importantly, what we're excited about is as we grow that pie, let's make it a better experience for the renters. Let's give back to the renters, give them more for their money. Um, it's, I think we're redefining in real time what it means to be a renter in America. I a hundred percent agree. And I applaud you for your efforts. It's, it's awesome. I, I really appreciate the fact that you invested some of your time in, in having a conversation here in collective conversations. This is just a, a labor of love for me. I don't make anything from this. And, and a lot of the people that I talk to, I, we don't do business with them, but they, uh, they do take time out of their data to spend some time with us. So I really appreciate it, Tyler. Absolutely. Thank is you, Mike. Thanks for what you're doing. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, anything you'd leave our listeners, viewers uh, with before you head off to London? <laughs> yeah, please come check us out at NAA. Would love to meet you. Love to tell you more about home. Ask how you can get involved. Uh, also at Optech, we'll be announcing some new products, um, You know, going back to this renter management software category. So look forward to helping the industry move along. If you're another vendor, would love to help you as well. We are, uh, we're all in this together. So Mike, thank you for, for elevating the consciousness of the industry and having these conversations. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And for everybody else, we'll see you next time on Collective Conversations.